Welcome back everyone to Alchemy Radio where the only thing we ask of you is that you keep an open mind. And my guest today is somebody who I had the privilege of hearing speak in a live environment only about a week ago in Dublin. It's Thomas Sheridan. Thomas, you're very welcome to Alchemy. How are you? I'm Grant, John. Delighted to be here. It's a privilege and an honour. Well, the privilege and honour is all mine. And I'm very, very interested in the work that you do. Puzzling People is the name of the book that came out last year, and it's about psychopaths, basically, Thomas. Now, tell me, what's a psychopath? Because when I hear the word psychopath, the first thing I think of is some guy behind a shower curtain with a knife. But, I mean, I've done, done a little bit of reading, and that's not necessarily the case at all. So can you tell us what's a psychopath? Well, what you've described really is the mythological aspect of what a psychopath is, rather than the reality. Okay. So that's but what this is where this um, this uh, misunderstanding comes from because I used to be the same way too. We all were because TV media had kind of changed the paradigm or the goalposts or the actually altered the mythology of what the psychopath basically was or and still is. But psychopaths are almost never violent. Now, what a psychopath is. According to Herbie Cleckley, who wrote the first book on psychopaths that considered the condition, the behavior, in a scientific mode, Mm -hmm. when he wrote the book The Mask of Sanity back in 1947, classified a psychopathic individual as somebody who is a perfect mimic of an otherwise normal human being, but inside them have an internal state of chaos they have no remorse and they have no ability to feel compassion for others. And they will process this internal chaos by controlling the other people around them, by fooling them, by manipulating them, by using them and then discarding them. Most people come into contact with psychopaths in relationships and they don't know they've been dealing with a, uh, with a psychopath until the relationship ends and they're wondering why they're why they're so messed up, why they don't feel like the same person they were before this individual came into their life. The psychopath has no ability to feel the emotions or even care about the emotions of others. It sees all other human beings as just targets to be used for their own gratification and for their own needs and whims, which could be anything from a sexual relationship to using them for their money, using them for their status, having them as arm candy or just even needing a place to live. And that goes all the way up from the low-level psychopaths that I've just mentioned there, mm-hmm. who most people encounter, to despots, politicians, big shots in the big business in the media, and indeed serial killers. Yes, there are psychopathic serial killers. There's no doubt about that. Fred West, Ted Bundy were both psychopathic serial killers, as was Charles Manson. But they're very, very rare. The psychopath, as a serial killer, is a very rare uh, creature indeed. And one of the reasons this mythology has been put out there is to stop us, the rest of us, from looking into this subject and seeing it for what it really is and then pointing at some of the authority figures and some of the leaders of this world in business, banking, politics, media, and putting one and one together and getting two and going, "Uh uh-oh, because it's a very, it's not a very easily identifiable behavior. But once you follow a person's life story 
and you can you can spot certain characteristics of how they behave and change. Okay. You can start to identify you may be dealing with a psychopath. It's very powerful information, and that's why they that's why they've mythologized and trivialized into the world of axe murderers and serial killers. Well, you've touched on a number of very interesting things there, Thomas. Uh, one being, and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like it's the case that every one of us will come into into contact with psychopaths numerous times during our lives. So how, how common are they? According to the official figures, it's 4% in the Western world. It's 1 in 22 in the United States and Canada, and one between 1 in 25 and 1 in 28 in Europe. This is according to actual psychiatric figures. They're very common. The thing is that they're not all fully turned on. They're psychopathic to some degree. Most of them are just manipulators and users who go through life using and discarding people without care in the world. Okay. Some of them are extremely psychopathic and very, very dangerous, but they're all very dangerous in their own way. So everybody who's they live to be 30 and had a normal life in terms of relationships, career path, education, a normal social life, will have absolutely have met one, at least one psychopath in their lives. They may not have known it was a psychopath. They may have just thought it was a bully, at, a vicious bully at work, or a man or a woman in a relationship who just like uh, manipulated them, told them they loved them completely uh, on one night, and after like six months of love bombing them, and then the next day just says, oh, get out of my life, I don't need you anymore, and walked away as if they never existed to someone who may have worked for a political party and canvassed for this politician only for to find out that this was a ruthless individual who just used everybody, made all kinds of promises, would do things like promise to fight to have a cancer ward opened, kept open at, say, a regional hospital, would hold the hands of women who were dying of cancer and saying, I will do everything in my power to 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 save this, this cancer, this oncology unit. And when he was elected... Not only does he forget those women and those people he made the promise to, but he also it was probably on the, the administration board who was planning to close down that cancer clinic to begin with. Just business. And we've all met them in one degree or another. And if we haven't met them, our lives, because of the way the world is at the moment, with politics, media, and big business, we've, been, we've certainly all been impacted by them in one way or another. Well, I think you're dead right, because... What you've just described, for me, paints quite a vivid picture of, I don't know, the world of politics or big business or the, the very things that are impacting on our lives in Ireland and around the world to probably the most obvious degree in history right now. I mean, you've everybody giving out about the government. You've everybody giving out about big pharma and big industry and that kind of thing. I mean, surely that's the type of environment that a psychopath or a psychopathic personality would thrive in. Yes, I first came into contact in that, in that sense when I worked in Wall Street as a graphic designer. I worked for all the main, all the main investment banks. I think, I don't, I don't think I did work for any, anyone. I think I, in a 10 in a year period or a nine year period, I was just about with all the major players and they were everywhere. Now, they don't rise to the top because they're amazingly brilliant. Mm-hmm. They don't rise to the top because they're dynamic geniuses. They rise to the top because they can put on a mask of sanity and create these personas which they use to fool people. They're also incredibly sycophantic and they're terrible flatterers. They will flatter, manipulate, and they will also destroy other people who may, they may perceive as being in the way of their career path. 
So they will actually, they will actually do the most horrific things to destroy people, frame them, uh, spread rumors about them, uh, do incredible things about them, play mind games with them and torture them and get them out of the job or get them out of position because they want it. And when they consolidate the power in a sort of an area, say a division within a company or a, a, an area within a political system, then they will have a free path up to the top if they can maintain that. They will simply destroy, manipulate and discard everyone they need along the way. They will even get married to the boss's daughter or they will name their grandchild after the board, the, as the first child after the after the grand after the, the CEO of the company or the politician, maybe even ask him or her to be the godmother or godfather. And they'll do anything. They're completely shameless uh, users and manipulators, and they do it without a care in the world. They feel no embarrassment or shame, and they don't feel any kind of sense that people are talking about them saying, what an incredible brown noser or something like that. They yeah. just don't care. They have, they have no understanding of ethics and they have no understanding of morality. It's just business to them. And we live at a point now in history, mainly because of how they've manipulated our consciousness over the last three and a half thousand years, where we not only accept them, and accept this psychopathic archetype as being somehow normal within the movers and shakers, but also we're supposed to believe that's the kind of man or woman for the job, and that's because they brainwash us into thinking this. They've dehumanized the human through the mass media, and then they've humanized the monster. Well, I was just going to say something along those lines, because if you look at, I don't know, movies from Wall Street to um, TV series, uh, pick up a newspaper, and... You will see the absolute, I don't know, the reverence that so many people who are ruthless are held in and how they are held up to the youth in society as a model to aspire to and that kind of thing. And it's always puzzled me. And I remember from quite a young age puzzled me as to because it didn't quite tally in my own head. Personally, I know one, one of the ways that I fall down in a business sense is because I certainly don't have a ruthless streak. Probably not something I should be letting out on air, but that's the that's the way I am. And I always find, find it very difficult in business when you come up against somebody who is extremely hard-nosed or ruthless. And I've always had a problem with that word because everybody would tell me, oh, you've got to be more ruthless, John. You've got to not worry about what other, what other people think. And as you said, it's got to be about just business. But to me, that's to remove humanity from business. And that's not something personally I'm comfortable with. And you've just described a type of person or personality who can do just that. And... It begs the question, Thomas, why or how? I mean, is this, is this learned behavior or is it something that a psychopath is born with or how does it come about? I'm very interested to know about that. Well, I've looked at all the science. I've actually been dealing very deeply into it for a very long time now. And they're definitely not created and it's definitely not genetic in terms of the proof hasn't come yet. Now, there's, there's a lot of wishful thinking and there's a great desire to make it seem genetic. But it does just the science just isn't there. One of the reasons is because uh, all the all the studies that have been done on psychopaths have nearly always taken place on male prisoners in prison, and then they would re refer to such things as uh, they would have you know brain damage or they would have uh, you know they would have brain damage or they would have uh, 
come from a poor background. But the psychopaths exist all through society, and they're only they've only ever really studied one part of society. And if you're studying male prisoners in prison, they're going to have brain damage from things like drug abuse. Uh, from things like crystal meth, they're going to have brain damage from things like being in gang fights. So they always, they always seem to look at the wrong kinds of psychopaths. It, there was a very, very good article in the New York Times recently that talked about the disturbing vista of child psychopaths. And this article conclusively proved that through a, a special program taking place in, in Florida, that all these psychopathic children behave just like adult psychopaths. They come out of the womb with this mentality. And more disturbingly, n- none of them came from poor families. They all came from mostly loving middle-class families. And they were often the only child in the family who was like that. The other kids were normal. I get people write to me all the time. I have five kids. One of them behaves just like what you describe in your books and in your talks. Mm. They're, they, it, they're almost like a predatory savant. You know this, this thing of the savant where the kid is born to a family and he can play piano perfectly from the moment he, yeah. he touches one? Mm-hmm. It's that kind of thing. They just seem to arrive. My personal belief is uh, that they're a predatory consciousness that manifests into this reality just to like, as a part of this evolutionary process, to just like you have negative and positive, male, female, black, white, up, down, the universe is composed of dualities of interacting forces. Yeah. I absolutely believe we have negative consciousness, negative consciousness, which would be the 96% of us, and Oh, sorry, positive consciousness, which would be the 96% of us, and negative consciousness, the 4%, which are psychopathic. So, Thomas, is it the case that you think the 4% have an advantage over the 96%? Because the way you're describing it, I imagine a kind of a, it's almost like there's a split between the two. You have the individual psychopath, and there are only 4% of them, 96% who aren't. Yet they seem, with a ruthless streak, to be able to rise to the top in whatever their uh, their chosen field may be. Quite often, I think you can see people like that in the music industry or within politics or government or whatever it might be. But you've also got the psychopathic entity, as I see it. So, for example, a rogue government or a big multinational company that will just, I suppose, stamp upon anything that gets in its way. And it seems like this 4% can, when they club together, become more than the sum of their parts and overwhelm the great majority am i wide of the mark or if, if that's the case why do you think that is thomas no you're not far off there the term i use for the sort of collective psychopathic influence over us on a social economic and media level i call it the psychopathic control grid right this is when the powerful psychopaths well they don't join together because they're ultimately they're all feral independent predators, but they will coagulate, that's the term I would use, they will coagulate in order to help themselves by knowing that the persons that they need around them in a a particular situation would be other psychopaths, where if there was empathic people in this... in this this organization, this entity, this power structure they were in, it might hold it down and ultimately hold them down. A good example of this would be the neocons in America, that was the uh, the ones who authored the century, the project for the new American century, which ultimately led to the, the war and invasions of Iraq and Afghanistan. They're nearly all psychopathic individuals, but they didn't they didn't 
to have a real aim in terms of a, an overall goal they all agreed with. They just agreed that the best way to get power would be to surround themselves with similar predators. And that's what's a class, that's, that's how they bond together in all power structures, even in a small company. It won't be because the two, psycho, two or three psychopaths will say to themselves, let's join together and target the rest for our own advantage. They just have an instinctual knowledge of each other, and they know when one of their own is useful to them, more so than they're being surrounded by empathic people they can manipulate and target. So the most highly ambitious psychopaths are usually the most cunning, and they're the ones who end up at the top of the pyramid. And it's almost like a form of vampirism. Um, maybe it's, it's that they... It's not blood they're looking to soak, but it's energy or money or power or something else that they crave. Is, yeah. is, is this, I mean, are they all looking for the same thing or does it depend on the level of the psychopath? Or I mean, is there a pecking order? Well, the, the, the sort of energy vampirism is a very interesting thing because in a pre-sort of scientific age, things like mythology, folklore, this would have been used as a kind of primitive psychology to sort of alert people about what, you know, how the world is regarding predators. They couldn't go out and say it. Okay. And the vampire, the vampire archetype is very much uh, indicative of the psychopathic individual presented to us in the form of an allegory. And that's why I've had so many, you see, Carl Jung, the Swiss psychoanalyst, in many of his uh, works pointed out to the fact that the, an artist and creative people generally see things or art sometimes, or popular art, will often express a reality while it's unfolding or before it happens. And in the last few years, we've had nothing but vampire TV shows and movies. And what all the characters in all these films and TV shows are, the so-called vampires, what they really are is psychopaths. They behave like psychopaths, and they, they're a motif, a, a mythological allegory of the psychopath. So that's where the vampire comes from. In fact, Bram Stoker, who wrote Dracula, he based the story on a British actor called Henry Irving. And if you read Henry Irving's biography, he was more than certainly, most certainly a psychopath. He was a horrific manipulator of people. He just used and discarded them. He just had only had time for enablers and, and people who would praise him constantly. He misused and used women. He just treat them like they were objects, which is how psychopathic males usually are. If they're, if they're heterosexual or they're gay, they'll also do the same thing. Although ultimately all psychopaths are asexual, they, they will target either males or females, whatever they think can give them power. And this is, uh, this is how they, that, this is why the psychopath and the vampire, and indeed other sort of uh, allegorical motifs are, you have been used to describe this uh, individual and this, this pathology in the past. And Thomas, then, do you think that is, could it be the case that the, the vampire, the psychopath, feels threatened by the rest of us who aren't? Or is it simply just a case that they, they are so power hungry or they lack all empathy for what they might actually be doing when they're trampling over other people to, to achieve their, their goal or their aim? Yes, they've no empathy at all. They, that they have, it's just business with them. And there's no such thing of consideration for anyone else other than their own goals and agendas regarding the fear factor this is an interesting thing they sort of live in this sort of small shadow land between extreme arrogance and hubris and terrified of being destroyed it's been shown in some recent scientific 
studies that the, the, the reptilian complex of the psychopath's brain, which is the lower brain stem, it's, it's just above the spinal column, mm-hmm. is the oldest part of our evolutionary brain. Everything a psychopath basically is, is in that part of their brain. So the psychopathic consciousness is more like an animal that's living in fear of being eaten by other animals, coupled with this godlike sense of superiority. Now, the states between both are very fragile, so they could slip over into fear and panic mode, and then they often run away if if they're in danger of being caught, and they'll begin again with a new name, a new identity, or just usually just a new personality uh, in another part of the country, another part of the world. But if they do start achieving their aims and getting what they want, they are charged by an arrogance and a sense of grandiosity you would not believe. Like they literally, all of them inside, see themselves as the king of the world. They really do see themselves alone as the most amazing person on earth. And everybody else on this planet is an idiot, a sucker, a moron, and a dummy. And that's how they really are inside. Coupled with a fragile sense of that power that they feel that it could be easily tipped over. So they're living in a state of not fear. Well, uh, well, it is kind of a fear, but it's a primal fear. It's not like the, the anxiety that we would have about paying our bills, mm-hmm. you know, getting sick, becoming ill, worrying about our families and our children and stuff like that, or, and our pets. It's not like that at all. It's, it's, it's a, a purely survival fear. Think of a lizard scurrying through the rocks in the desert, constantly looking around, wondering if there's an eagle overhead. It's that kind of fear. Right. So um, as you say, a primal thing, it's not even a, a consciousness per se. It's just part of what they are and what they do. So to go right back in time, I suppose, in, in the life of a psychopath, and you reckon it's literally from birth, it's something inbuilt. Is it something then that can be medically diagnosed or is it something that can be cured? Oh, it can be medically diagnosed very easily, surprisingly easily. Uh, what they do is they do a diagnostic test on them where they ask them certain questions and they, their response towards these questions, you can tell. They have different uses of speech. Uh, they will use things called the fluencies to a greater extent than a normal person. Uh, the fluency is you going, mm, uh, 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 mm, uh, when they're do- talking during a conversation. But we all do that, but they do it to an extreme uh, level and they also are doing it to, to make up their next lie so they're thinking about their next lie so they're pausing to see how they can manipulate you another thing they do is that they talk about everything they've done in the past as if another person did it for instance they've interviewed a Canadian study came out last year where they interviewed criminal psychopaths in prison and it was also shown in corporate psychopaths as well that if they do something uh, bad in the past, somehow the current version of them is not responsible for it. Uh, I, go, I go into detail on this in my latest book, Defeated Demons. I call this the transitional persona of the psychopath. And I'll give you an example. If a psychopath was a raped a woman five years ago, and you were asked, you said to them, you're a convicted rapist, they'd say, well, I did rape her, but I'm not a rapist now. I was, it did, so it didn't happen. I was a rapist in the past, as it, but I'm not a rapist now. So there's no sense of the present version of themselves is responsible for what the previous versions did. And this is also what is very common in politicians. They make all kinds of promises before they get elected. And as soon as they get into office, 
I never said that. What are you talking about? It's be- and they literally mean it because the previous version of him, the one that was running for election, he is the one responsible for the lies that he told, and the new version isn't. It's a remarkable thing. They really have no personality as such. They invent personas, and each persona is a different human being. And that's one of the things they... They, they quest these questions. This is how they find them out. Another thing is you can use MRIs or CAT scans to look at their brains when they're shown certain images. Mm-hmm. So well, they'll show them images that are sort of sweet and happy and loving, and then they'll show them the most horrific, harrowing images of animals being mutilated and stuff like that, or dead children. There's absolutely no change in how the frontal cortex of their brain responds and the limbic regions of their brain responds. There's no change. They're purely just watching these these images with no emotion so it's actually one of the easiest things to professionally diagnose and this is what also drives me crazy is that it's so easy to spot these types and yet we, we're all told that they don't really exist or they're just a handful of axe murderers and this is something that I, we should be we shouldn't we should have all been told this when we were in school and that's why I wrote puzzling people and defeated demons is so I could get this knowledge out there in layperson's uh, language but they can they be cured? Absolutely not. They've been shown even on their even in the on their deathbed as old people in retirement homes that their brain is just as much psychopathic and predator driven and devious as when they were young people in their teens and twenties. That's fascinating, so, Thomas, because even as you speak while I'm listening to you here, it's almost like I can apply what you're saying to certain people in the public eye. There's one that I mean, he's in the news all the time at the moment, Tony Blair. And to me, Tony Blair, the way he has acted over the last 20 years since he came, I suppose, to public prominence, he is responsible for uh, for mass murder, in my opinion. That's just my opinion. People might disagree with that. But he has shown absolutely no remorse or no sense of guilt. And as you say, almost speaks about it in the past tense as if, yes, these things, Iraq, for example, happened. And it's terrible that there was collateral damage, as he calls it, i.e. a million Iraqis dead who were all innocent. Um, But I'm not responsible in any way. Well, yes, you are responsible. That should be obvious to any sane or rational human being. So to me, taking what you've just said there, to me, it sounds like somebody like Tony Blair, and again, the career that he chose for himself or was chosen for him fits in with the archetype. Surely a guy like him has to be psychopathic. Oh, well, congratulations, John, because you've just successfully identified your first psychopath. Absolutely. No doubt about it. He is, if, if, if someone was to ask me the poster boy, uh, and there's quite a lot of them out there, especially in American politics. I'm mm-hmm. not one of the Americans. It's just that's what they're the ones who rule the world right now. The, the psychopaths will be drawn to that the most. But... Uh, yeah, you nailed it on the head. Uh, there was one individual out there that absolutely is a screaming psychopath in terms of how he's behaved. It's Tony Blair. He's, uh, again, the persona of the past is not responsible. That's why he can kill, uh, you know, can be responsible for the death of a million Iraqis in a false war and then go on the Late Late Show and talk about what a great peacemaker he is because he played a part in the Good Friday Agreement. This is also why he changed religions. That was a business move on his behalf. He became a Catholic because he thought he was going to be made president of the European Union. Yeah. And like all psychopaths, they monitor, they watch, they way up the odds they hedged their bets and he said well there's more Catholics in the EU than than there is any other religion so he became a Catholic just business and that's what they're like tell me what you want from me what what I think you'll need from me and I'll become it 
It's absolutely incredible. It almost sounds like a detachment from humanity in a sense. Oh, I don't consider them human. I consider them the, uh, the antithesis of a human being. I, I consider them a predatorial subspecies. I would even go far as calling them either quasi-humanoid or some kind of like hominid. But they're absolutely not human in terms of how they function. Now, I know this kind of language comes with, from heavy baggage. It's not like a racist thing. It's not like a bigot thing. They, they appear in every single race. There's no race, religion... Uh, or ethnic group or social class that does not have the psychopaths in it and they prey among their own just as much as they prey among anyone else. You can see that in an organization like the Mafia. Again, the Mafia, although it claims to be in a Sicilian organization, La Costa Nostra, they really prey on each other, on their own people. You know, even when they went to America and England and where Italians emigrated, yeah. the ordinary Italians were their first victims. So, but at the same time, too, they will wrap a cultural framework around that somehow they're protecting their own kind, and that's how psychopaths are. And you see that a lot. That's yeah. I don't. I don't consider them human. I even on my, on my new book, Defeat the Demons, the editor uh, and the publishers actually said you've really got to put on the back flat. Psychopaths are not human because they. She was so. My editor was so convinced by my arguments in it. And uh, they went for it. It's yeah, and like anyone who's been in a relationship with a psychopath will tell you that when it was over and when they got their head together, yeah, they always say to themselves, you know, after they've gone through the whole thing of what the hell was that, and it lingers in their minds for years and years and years. Yeah. It's when they read books like Puzzling People to Feed the Demons or other people's books like Marcus Stout's The Sociopath Next Door that it just it's suddenly. It's almost this like revelatory moment, this like noetic sort of uh, insight that suddenly they go, "Oh my God, that's exactly what that person was. That's exactly who I was married to. That's exactly how that bully in work behaved." And this, and and we're, we're dealing with something that people in the past would actually have, uh, you know, mythologized or rationalized as demonic, as demonically possessed as werewolves and vampires and so on like that. It really, when you get into it, it's so spooky. I'll give you an example of one of the more spooky aspects of it, is they don't have very good facial recognition. Even for their own families, wives, children, they will have difficulty recognizing them if they're caught unaware. I get numerous st stories from people who've been walking down the street one day and they bumped into their husband, who now they realize is a psychopath, but at the time they didn't really know about it. And then uh, they would catch their own husband, he would turn around, and he would scan them up and down for a second or two. This is very commonly reported. And then suddenly his personality would click in that he's using to work his wife and he would suddenly become him. That's what you're dealing with. It's really the most bizarre thing in the world. And that's why you have, like, people who work for politicians would say things like, as soon as they were elected, he became a different human being. And yeah. that's literally what happens. It's amazing. And I, w I would assume if somebody is dealing on a one-to-one -one level with characters as slippery, if that's the right word to use, as these who can literally slip in and out and almost anticipate what it is that somebody wants to hear in a relationship or a business um, arrangement or whatever it might be. I mean, they would be extremely difficult to spot in the initial stages because, 
presumably they would play up to the crowd in a sense and that they oh would, yeah 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 and the relationship as well the psychopath is targeting you in a relationship they will learn everything about you this is why things like on the internet facebook and stuff we shouldn't be all putting our personal information out there especially anything that's like close to our hearts yeah uh, that's you know say that we're lonely or something they will find all your hobbies all your interests and they will perfectly craft a bespoke persona specifically designed to manipulate and work you or your country or your community. They often move into community organizations and wreck them. It's very common when they've, they've alienated everyone in it. And again, they're only driven by two things really, power and control. And even if, uh, even though they're all hypersexual and they all have until they're quite old, this is why pedophiles you know, they never change. They're just as they're really, they're just, there is, they have as much sex drive as when they're old as when they're young. All psychopaths are the same. A friend of mine, he's a New Scotland Yard detective, and he was dealing with child abuse cases over the years. He's coming up to retirement soon. And he's absolutely says, and this is a guy who's a hard nosed sort of English CID detective, you know, yeah. Sweeney type. And he's, this is a guy who's not even religious or anything. And he's even said to me off record, I'm telling you what's inside there is not a human being there's just not a human being in there and he, he told me one story of a guy who was a notorious paedophile who used to groom see psychopaths groom adults the same way they groom children through this sort of grooming making them feel special making them feel important but this guy uh, this guy is 70 years old he's in prison he actually still masturbates 20 times a day and he can jump he can jump over a 6 foot wall what? yeah well, that's, from, a, from a run that, at 70. I mean, both of the things that you've described there are not normal in inverted commas for anybody. But, I mean, to take it a step further, what human being can do that kind of, those kind of things? Yeah, because it's just, it's just, they have very, all psychopaths have very high levels of the hormone testosterone. So they're te- they tend to be very high, sexually hyperactive for all of their lives. And the females, because of the high testosterone, it's basically they have a sort of a, a natural form of HRT, hormone replacement therapy, because that's what they give you when you're when when a woman is reaching has passed menopause, mm-hmm. and so they can be sexually active because they have these high levels of testosterone, and, and that's they're really you know they they tend to be quite fit and strong right on to the end of their lives. This might be also where the whole in the past the werewolf allegory and motif came from. Yeah. That that's mm. really really interesting, and something that you said a little, a little while ago as well that I found interesting and made a mental note of was when you mentioned it could be quite easily diagnosed and through psychological profiling um, and that kind of thing. This begs the question, do you think, Thomas, it's possible that, for example, if you have an essentially psychopathic entity, say, for example, you have a corrupt government and they need a police force to, let's take the US for an example at the moment, and you've got a government that doesn't seem to have the best interests of its people at heart at all in any way, and to enforce their ideas, they need a police force and an army. And they need people who are going to carry out what it is they want done. Now, obviously, there's a certain amount of brainwashing that goes on in that regard. But presumably, it would be a huge advantage if you are at the top of that tree and you want all these foot soldiers on the ground to be able to pick people of a similar mindset. So, for example, would it be possible that at entry level to the police, and I'm just hypothesizing here, but say the police or the army, that they would 
actually look for people like this, for, for psychopaths who would have no empathy and they wouldn't care if they have to stamp on the head of a protester or fire a taser into somebody. I mean, does that make sense at all? Well, that's a, this is a very interesting stuff. and I'm, I, Not many people ask me this question, and I'm glad you did. It works on two levels. Let's talk with the police first. There's definitely, without a shadow of a doubt, an ongoing effort right now to get as many psychopaths and other lunatics into police forces all over the world, to drive out the decent police, to drive out the police who are actually joined the police because they wanted to uh, help their community or were just interested in policing as a career, yep. and to replace them with lunatics. And many of them are psychopaths. They will do what they're told because they, they get their charged, they're, they're low-level psychopaths. See, a lot of all psychopath males tend to have fantasy lives where they make up stories about them being spies and CIA men and, and undercover agents and SAS guys and all this crap. Okay. But, so the police, joining the police, getting a gun, giving a position of power would be very, very appealing to a low-level psychopath who wasn't smart or intelligent enough to make it in politics or something like that. And unfortunately, they're filling... They're filling police services all over the earth with these absolute psychopathic scum who are extremely dangerous individuals. At the same time, making it so they make all the the uh, the decent cops and the decent policemen retire early, or they just get sick at the job and they leave. Now, in terms of military, it's a bit more complicated. Psychopaths make terrible soldiers because the simple fact is they won't stand by their comrades. So if there was a battle going on, they're most likely to run away and rob civilian houses, rape civilian women, or else go back to the front lines and why their, their, their comrades are all fighting a battle will be stealing their stuff. Right. It's, this has been known for years. And so another thing that's been also known for years, going right back to the Napoleonic Wars, has been documents and books written by generals saying that the average soldier does not want to kill the enemy. The vast majority of soldiers in a battle, one of the dirty secrets of war is they will shoot, unless there's an officer there directly, directly ordering them, they will shoot over the enemy's head, they will try to injure them, or they will not fire at all. Because there's, a normal human being, even in the military, does not want to kill another human being. So it's been known for a long time, the, the, the military has had two dilemmas. One, they, they psychopaths would sound ideal for them, but in reality, they lack discipline. And that's really what holds a military together is discipline. Yeah. So they're no use in the military. But they, they need that psychopathic mindset in the soldiers. And this is where this transhumanism thing is now coming in. This transhumanism, these super soldier ideas of injecting them with chemical pathways. DARPA in the U.S. has done tremendous work on this. I don't mean tremendous in that terms. That's impressive in a good way. Yeah. I mean, they've poured vast amounts of money into it with these suits that, that change the consciousness of the soldier. You see, uh, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, last year uh, did, a, did, a, did a study on how magnetic fields affect the limbic regions of the brain. This this was uh, this survey was only available to academics, and a doctor in America who had read puzzling people had had given me his actual copy that he got, you know, through the academic uh, network. And this document is frightening to read. They were showing that they were working on switching off the empathy in soldiers by. A, by placing magnetic fields in, around their head to eventually be placed inside military helmets like their military combat gear uh -huh. that would put soldiers into the battlefield 
otherwise normal men and women who wouldn't harm any, you do, would not be sadistic killers or anything like that, and switch off their empathy. So this is why this this is why this issue crosses over into so many things. I mean, just look at all the subjects I've touched here and this with you in the last hour or so. Yeah. But but it, it ties into everything: transhumanism, politics, even how science is conducted, religion. You name it; these things are embedded like lice everywhere. And they're 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 looking. It's really you know, I'm not I'm not I know this sounds like a hyperbola or my self hysterical, but I, you know I'm not like a religious guy. I'm I'm a I'm a quite down to earth guy who's you know tense. I don't get carried away with things you know, that are sort of like two out there. But yeah. I can honestly say in a sort of a metaphorical sense that right now we are literally living in the Battle of Armageddon. And why it's happening is in the domain of human consciousness. It's between us and them. And that's literally what they're trying to switch over their our humanity so they can take over the world. And psychopaths contact me because they've read my books and so on. Yeah. And they they, 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 they tell me this stuff. The smart ones, the educated ones who, who can actually have a conversation with them will say things like, oh, no, you're, you're extinct. We're the next level of human evolution. We're the new man, the new human. And, uh, you, and even use terms like you empaths. You're finished. You're, it's, it's, all, it's all over for you. And this is literally how they see themselves. This is why we've got to get wise to this issue very, very quickly. Because with these people in power, they'll see the vast majority of the human race as just little more, less than insects to be, and this is why you have this, these depopulation control programs. I was just you have say all this that, stuff yeah. in Africa, yeah, sterilization and stuff. They literally see us as this is even where the environmental, the environmental movement on the surface may seem like harmless and stuff like that, but ultimately it's about wiping human beings off the face of the earth. And this is why so many of them are, are drawn into that as well, because human data. This is why they put they. they Try to put the idea out there that human beings are like a bacteria or, or, or lice or, or cockroaches who are destroying the planet. And the reality is the ones who are doing this are the ones who own the strip mines, or the companies that cause deforestation and the nuclear power plants. But yet, like all psychopaths, they project. They project their own pathology onto others. Like I said at the beginning of the interview, they project order upon the rest of us out of their internal chaos. Or the lab kill. Thomas, this reminds me of the movie Avatar. I have to say, as you're painting this picture, where you had Pandora, I think it was called, which was where everybody was at one with nature and they could communicate by various means and it was basically a paradise. And then the humans came along and the, the, tra- yeah. the transhumans, if you like, who, who were yeah. in, in these crazy bodysuits and stuff and they had absolutely no empathy for the fact that they literally came in and destroyed this planet for their own selfish means so that they could head back to earth with the new plundered wealth or whatever it is they wanted yeah. and they they didn't care less this is really the pa- the picture you're painting for me yeah but La- avatar was a very devious sleight of hand in another way the, the the obvious story on the surface of that movie which i think is a horrible film actually yeah it's been a terrible like really bad probably most ho- ho- hyped up movie ever and possibly the most unwatchable movie ever made but it was whipped up in such a way that the Navi, these people who lived on Pandora, they were somehow representative of the human who was at one with nature, and how, and, and then the humans came along and didn't understand that they had to reform us. Well, the interesting subtext there was, because it was a planet, and because it was in the future, what they were really saying was, NATO is always going to be coming for your stuff. Yeah. Get used to it. And you see, that's how they've been programming us for years. 
the sub subtext sleight of hand. Now that was a that that horrible film Avatar was. I mean, I was amazed by how many people in the awakened community or people who thought they were like spiritually and consciously awake were saying, you know, oh, you know, even David Icke was was raving about it and saying things like the film was all about you know being one with nature. No, it wasn't. It was a piece of shameless pro NATO propaganda. That's all it was at the end of the day, to make you feel that you're scum and to get used to the fact that NATO is always going to be coming for your stuff. But, on, but John, on another level, one thing that's very interesting is psychopaths are extremely rare in indigenous communities. That's because they have an ongoing native wisdom towards them and they'll often take them and kill them. I know this sounds very harsh. I'm not, I'm not advocating that here. Yeah. But what will happen is as soon as they identify as a psychopath, They'll take him hunting one day and, you know, he'll meet with a quote-unquote unfortunate accident because in all these cultures, the thing is to save the tribe. The, and so any kind of one of these individuals in the tribe that's living on the edge like that is very difficult. The Inuits, for instance, in, in the Arctic regions, the term that they use for a psychopath is literally translated as he who stays behind and has sex with the women, our wives, and steals, steals our stuff while we go hunting for our children. See, so they've always been wise to the native people. You know, it's, this, is, this, is what's, this is what I feel this awakening community is again. Those of us who are sort of like becoming conscious again, what we're really doing is we're having this noetic sort of native wisdom, you know, growing again in us. If you look at like the shamanic cultures, the shamans had the ability to kill, but also to heal boat because they would practice they would actually knew that there was a certain individual within the within the within the community if this thing actually grew up and you know didn't change chances were it was never going to change what they called the soulless ones but what happens in the west is we have been disconnected from this i was talking to a, an african shaman in dublin last year and we just got talking and he says well what you what do you do i said i write books about psychopaths yeah. Uh, as well as I'm an artist and everything else. And he took he, ah, he, goes, he took a real good interest and he, his face lit up and he goes, Oh, very good. And he says, You know what psychopaths you, you know what psychopaths are? And I says, What? He says it's the demon world trying to invade this world. And he goes, uh, I says the real reason why they're and I, I said, Why are they so rare in indigenous societies? And he says, It's because you and the West have been trained to hate yourself by the psychopaths who control your media. And you tell me that's not true. When you look at fashion magazines, when you look at all these other things that were supposed to have, reach a certain economic status, have so much money, you know, be really good looking, have the most beautiful boyfriend, beautiful girlfriend, a fast car. And this is how the psychopaths get us. We've been softened up by the psychopathic control grid. Incredible. I don't think anybody could possibly dispute that. Open a magazine and every advertisement you see, if it's a woman's magazine, is basically to trick people into thinking that they're, skin they're not skinny enough or that they don't have enough makeup or whatever it might be. And it's the same when it comes to, I think, sporting prowess for a lot of males. And It's a constant bombardment, um, basically, to make people feel inferior so that they buy into a product or whatever it might be. But when you take it a step further, as you have there... Um, it becomes, on, on a macrocosmic level, it's about something so much more. It's not just about pushing a product. It's about pushing a consciousness right back to where it came from. And I, I think, as you said, it is a war, a war for our minds or a war for consciousness because those who control the conscious spirit control everything. Yeah, it's definitely true. And we have to get wise to this stuff really fast, both in our personal lives and in, you know, in the world as a whole. 
because this is it, folks. We're really up. This is what's ha- this is why this, this is why I felt so strongly on Saturday in Dublin when we met at that event that this was this was the this was the human race coming back. Yeah. What the human race was supposed to be: people who can think for themselves, people who don't need to be authority. They don't need the the authority figures to tell them how to think. They can actually do it themselves. People who can pick up a newspaper and know that when it's the Irish Times or the Irish uh, Independent or any one of our newspapers, that when this 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 leading journalist writes the so-called story that all he is is a government press officer or all she is is a government stooge rewriting government corporate and university press releases and there isn't an ounce of independent journalism in any of them. This is happening now. It's falling like a deck of cards for them and it's really a race to the finish because they know they're in a lot of trouble now but they're not really showing it. It's like the whole thing with the big new Brzezinski when he said the biggest fear we have for our, our one world government or a globalist system is the political awakening of the people. What he really should have said was the consciousness awakening of the people. This is what they're... You see, they can't... And this is why people like artists, musicians, graffiti artists, poets and anyone with a creative mind is, mm-hmm. is the, the thing they fear the most. Because we can operate, because they don't operate within the frontal cortex of their brain. That's also the part of your brain where imagination and creativity is realized in a normal person. This is where we can undermine them. This is where we can take them down because it's up to, um, I'm more and more in this scene that I'm into, just about everybody I meet is at the front of it is creative in some way, from writers to rappers to musicians. And this is where we're going, and this is where we're going to win. Uh, but this is also, they've known that for a long time. That's why they have used mass entertainment from music and films to try and alter us to their way of thinking or to accept them psychopaths as being cool and sexy and, you know, w- you know that, they, that they're the ones who really make the world go round because we need them to be ruthless in business and so on. But people are looking at the financial situation globally and it, it, it's a classic case of psychopaths and what they do and everything. They move in like parasites. They're all parasites. Every psychopath in the world is a pathetic parasite. They cannot create anything new on their own. They can only live off other things. Yeah. So they go into the financial system and they did to the financial system of the world what they would do if they moved into a relationship with a normal person. Leave it in absolute chaos. And then tell us it was the best thing that ever happened and we should be thankful for it. Again, that reminds me of the situation with Libya where we're bombing you for your own good. Now Syria is now being portrayed in the same way. They, they ignored them for years and years. And then when they suddenly need... a uh, they suddenly need, you know, to inject money into their armaments industry or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will suddenly create a new baddie. You know, suddenly they could yeah. be our best friend last week. And that's exactly what a psychopath does in a relationship. They'll be telling you, uh, they'll be asking you to marry them on a Friday. And on a Monday morning, they'll be telling you to get lost. And that's exactly, you know, and then spreading rumors about you. It's called smear campaignings. Whenever a psychopath in a personal relationship is finished with the, the person, they undermine the person that they just devalued by launching a smear campaign, by trying to portray them as like nuts, emotionally unstable, or alcoholics or drug addicts. And it's, don't you just see that with the way they, they treat the countries? You can see how like they treat like Saddam Hussein. One minute he's their best friend, the next minute they're dropping bombs on his people and he's hanging from a rope. Yeah. That's the psychopathic mind. As above, so below. From the microcosm to the macrocosm, the same pernicious parasitic predator 
is being reflected all over society. And we have to get wise to this fast and know exactly what we're dealing with. Because the only thing that's kept them in power, both in the streets and in the state houses, is our ignorance of what they really are. But that's rapidly changing now. When I started this two years ago, I was a lone voice in the wilderness. And then nobody was even using the term psychopaths. They were using things like a narcissistic personality disorder, not as guff that comes yeah. out of psychiatry. And... The New York Times recently has done two major articles on psychopaths in big business and government, and also one on child psychopaths, which is a, which is a groundbreaking article, in my opinion. And more and more, it's being talked about, it's being looked at, and it's coming up. So, again, me being an artist and musician, perhaps maybe I tapped into that in the same way. That was my destiny within that, in this alternative movie, movement, to tap into this, this, this zeitgeist before it took off. And the same with other people have done the same. So it's, it's very encouraging. It's like people have said to me, do you ever worry for your life dealing with this stuff? You know, going on TV, doing interviews, going around the world talking and stuff, writing books. Yeah. And I says, no, because the truth always comes with a kind of a divine protection. And I really do believe that. So that's why we all have to be brave at these moments because it, we can't sit back and let this, let this, let, let this, this fantastic species called the human race be destroyed. We can't allow it happen. I couldn't agree more. And for anybody who's sitting listening to this at the moment, Thomas, and they're thinking, um, well, there's not much I can do as an individual, or I'm, I've identified some of, the, uh, some of the characteristics of a psychopath in my relationship or in whatever dealings I may have, what can they do on an individual level? Is it a case of get the hell out of Dodge, or is there a way to ward off these kind of people? Or what can, what can be done, basically? Well, it's very interesting. The first thing that happens is, if you have a knowledge of psychopaths, they'll leave you alone. And this is in your personal life or in work or stuff. If you know what they're like and what they're really like, yeah, they can. They almost have this uncanny ability to sense it. They, you, you almost like have a firewall around your consciousness. They know exactly who the targets are. People who are overly trusting that this, like, that's why the new age movement is polluted with them. Who have this overly trusting, unconditional, loving mentality. Now, this is not. That doesn't mean those people are fools or doing anything wrong. Good, mm. good luck to them. We need more people like that. But the psychopaths target these people. They look out for these people. But if you are wise to them, you have this kind. That's why you could be in an office and you say to yourself, you have this like psychopathic bully picking on you, yeah. and you be thinking to yourself, why me? Like I'm no different than like four or five other fellows in this office. Why is it targeting me? And it's because there's something about you that you're, you're you, you. They know that you can they can they can get to you easier. They can they can harvest your energy easier. So when you read books like mine and others, and you become aware of what you're dealing with you sort of build a consciousness firewall around your personality and they'll just leave you alone because ultimately all psychopaths are uh, they're kind of lazy. They always go for the easiest option. Um, that's why, you know, if, if, we, if you make it difficult for them, they'll just give up, give up and throw the towel and then walk away and do something else. You can't fight them and you can't confront them and you should never even try and do that because they've had a whole lifetime of destroying people and it, it'd be like you with a pea shooter taking on a, an Apache gunship. So don't ever try to play mind games with them or anything like that. If you're in a relationship one or you just got ever a relationship with one, uh, the only, there's only one rule. No contact ever again. Get away and have nothing to do with them ever again. Do not reply to an email, a text message. In fact, block them on your phones. Move if you have to because they will never change. And they'll always come back to try and torture you in some way. Now, on the global and the, the social level, non-compliance is the way to go forward mm -hmm. on that. Yeah. Do not comply with them. 
Do not buy their mainstream newspapers. Do not watch their mainstream television. Do not buy their magazines, especially if you're a woman. Do not buy these crap women's magazines that are waging war on your feminine consciousness and making you making you believe that you're a piece of trash instead of the the, the potential goddess you are inside. And that's what they, 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 they're attacking the women first and foremost because they have a sort of a, they know that women's, see this is where we, uh, intuition is what really allows you to detect them and women have a much more higher level of in, uh, intuition, I'm sorry, than males do. So they've been waging war on the women more than anything else in this system. Going, going right back to Edward Bernays when he wrote the book on public relations and began attacking women through things like fashion and stuff like that in the 1920s. Yeah. And then, so we don't, we, don't, we don't play their game. We walk away from them. We don't give in to them because they love it when you struggle against them. This is why I'm saying to people, look, don't riot don't go marching in the streets because they're only too happy to fire the tear to gas at you or taser you. But if you sit at home, read books, get your brain together, and then think of creative ways of dropping out, of, of undermining them. Instead of buying their garbage and their rubbish, make your own. Learn skills. Grow your own food. Develop a network of friends who you can all help each other of different skills. This drives them mad. Do not buy their newspaper. Don't look up a penny to them. Another may do not buy. Like if I was, so I'll say the one thing to everybody listening to this show. Do not, please do never buy a mainstream newspaper ever again. Do not feed these beasts because that's all you're doing. You're giving your power over to them. They're very creepy. They're very devious and they don't care about you. They don't care about anything about you. And so you've got non-compliance and no contact ever again and you put them out of business. But the best one of all is knowledge of the predator. Get knowledge, get wise to them, develop your intu intuition, and you'll have that automatic firewall around your consciousness. And you'll find you'll, not only will you deflect these, 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 uh, these creatures, these psychopathic creatures, but you'll also find that amazing people will start drifting into your life who, will, who can help you, and that, will, that will be on the same mindset as you. And this is an amazing thing. So it's almost like a... It's like they say, the truth comes with divine protection. You yeah. take one step forward in the universe with your heart in the right place, the universe will take two steps towards you. It's absolutely true. I've seen it so many times in my own life and the lives of others. So we should not be fearful. And this is another thing, too. We were all, when we were talking about this before we went on there, do not buy into the fear and paranoia that certain individuals in the Artel movement are pushing because fear puts you into a state where also easily manipulated. Mm -hmm. So you must be, what, what, what it really is about is having self-confidence in yourself. Once you have that, you're on your way. That They won't even bother with you. Well, fascinating and practical advice there, Thomas. Now, before I let you go, there's something I want to touch on because I know your background is as a musician and a graphic designer and you worked on Wall Street as a graphic designer and I have a keen interest in that area of things and I've, a keen interest also in the power of symbology and symbols and how that can infiltrate our consciousness and what symbols can be used for. And something that I've noticed, the more I've looked around me at the world over the last couple of years in particular, when it comes to design uh, for companies or, I don't know, TV shows, no matter what it is, symbols, we're, we're seeing the same patterns repeated mm. over and over again, be it the symbol of the all-seeing eye or a pyramid or whatever it might be, a pentagram, wow. something like that, okay? And I use a lot of these symbols myself 
when it comes to my own career and branding and that kind of thing. And I receive quite a bit of flack from various quarters for it. And people say, oh, you're, you're one of the dark side or you're a member of the Illuminati or these kind of ridiculous yeah. statements. And my, my belief, Thomas, and I'd like to hear your views on this because you've been at the coalface per se. I personally believe that symbols are just that. They're symbols. And while certain symbols might have a particular power, it's the intent behind the symbol that drives that power. So it's, it's not to say that the image of a pyramid or a triangle is a negative image. It's about the intent behind it. Um, what are your views on that? Or what experiences did you have working as a designer in Wall Street of all places? Yeah, that's, that's great stuff because I feel the same way too. Symbols are innocuous. They're not demonic. They're not satanic. They're not Luciferian. They're not evil. A classic example of that would be the swastika. The swastika could either be the, the symbol of national socialism, which would mean a certain thing to people who had, an, who had a negative uh, reaction to the, the Nazis. Yep. Or it's the Hindu Vedic symbol of the sun. Exactly. Depending on the... You see, in, in ritual magic... You, you charge a symbol, not by saying an incantation over it. That's all guff, that stuff that we're fed about the lesser key of Solomon and, you know, the whole things of Crowley and the freighters and stuff. That's all rubbish. The, there's no incantation that can actually make a symbol charged with a demonic energy or give it a, a, a certain uh, power. That's a mind control game. Mm -hmm. the, real, the real magic is to say what the symbol means. So, for instance... There are certain image symbols that have, for some reason or another, mainly because they may, we may have an evolutionary memory of the, they were the first things that we drew on cave walls. Our ancestors, you know, came up with them. Indeed, in many of the early, you know, prehistoric and megalithic and uh, cave art from Ireland to Africa to uh, Aboriginal Australia to North America, you do see the same symbols over and over again. So if you read books, you know, like in a book like Carl Jung's Man and the Symbols, he explains why these, these archetypes appear. They somehow have a powerful effect on our consciousness, such as the all-seeing eye, such as the five-pointed star. They, they tunnel their way into our subconscious. Mm -hmm. Now, what you attach to them is what you will believe they are. So when Texaco puts the tea inside the five-pointed star, they're channeling their product into your head. It's not demonic. It's not Luciferian. It's not evil. Likewise, when you put your, you put you use the five-pointed star and you put your ideas behind it, you're helping to channel your positive ideas into people's consciousness. Yeah. It's just, that's what, that's the same with the pyramids and all this other stuff. You know, but there's some people out there that they just can't get. They they almost have a paranoia fixation, almost like an addiction. They can't get beyond it. I did a video recently for the Glasgow Truth Group all about this. And uh, it was amazing how many people. Oh, Thomas Sheridan sold out. He's a member of a lodge. He's a member of the Numenati. There's even photographs of me taken by Terry Bruton, who's a, a professional photographer up, in, up here yep. in the Northwest. And, you know, the poses that I'm in, People are saying things like, he's pointing to his head, that means he's a Freemason. He's holding a cane, that means he's a, he, he's a, he's, he's a McCrelly and all those types. Yeah. And it's, this is how it's, it's so silly because none of that stuff is true. You see, because they, they see a five minute video on YouTube about the all seeing eye with some really bad heavy metal music, 
and they think they now are experts on symbolism. You have to spend a lot of time thinking about symbolism, looking into the history behind it, even the way colors are used, but ultimately they are innocuous, they are neutral. It's only your conscious, this is, how, this is what magic is. Magic is the manipulation of your, something, taking something from your consciousness and bringing it into reality. For instance, like if I thought, if a carpenter thinks about building a table, he visions it in his mind, he draws the sketch on a piece of paper, and then he builds the table from wood, and there's the table. That's magic. That's a basic definition of magic. The same idea of magic can be done with consciousness, to plant an idea from someone else's consciousness into your consciousness to make it believe it's true. And that's what's happening with this, this, these bloody obsessions. That, and it's very annoying for me with these symbols where people are saying, oh, like I made a video where I'm wearing a T-shirt, uh, that has the the eye of Ra on it, yeah. and this, it, it, oh, it was like all hell broke loose on the comments on YouTube, and you know, and and someone says, "Why are you wearing that?" And I said, "I like Egyptian stuff. I'm into it. I like Egyptian art." Yeah, but that wasn't a good enough answer. No, no, I, I, they had it in their heads that like it means something, you know. And this all comes out. This you see, we have, you know, it's changing. It's getting a bit better now. Three or four years ago, the awakening community was still going through a kind of an adolescence where it believed in every old kind of crazy idea, every kind of paranoia. But that's changing now. It's spinning around. But and people are becoming more sort of consciously elevated, and they're understanding the kind of concepts that you and I are talking about now with these symbols. But unfortunately, there's still a hardcore, entrenched, small minority who will never get out of this idea. They always want to know and feel that they're being oppressed by the Illuminati, whatever. And many don't even know the history of the Illuminati, what the Illuminati really was. Yeah. They, just, they just want the buzzwords. Absolutely. And it's really refreshing to hear somebody, um, well, who, who has shared my experience of that because it's something I decided. I made a conscious decision when I used the symbols that I, I, I do use. I knew I would receive flack for it. Um, yeah. But I made a conscious decision not to bow to that because at the end of the day, I'm comfortable within my own mindset and my own consciousness with what I'm doing. And I believe it does have a positive influence on a lot of people. And at the end of the day, you can't change somebody else. They can only do that for themselves. And I, likewise, nobody can change me. I can only do that for myself. So I'll continue to do it. And what I see as being positive, I, I will always do in my life. And there's not a whole lot that anybody can say to me to change that, you know. And I, I think it's obviously the same with you. And it's, it's really refreshing to hear somebody with that view who has, as I said earlier, been at the coalface of it and who has a career background in this kind of thing. Because it's, uh, to me, it's fascinating. Yeah, well, follow, once you follow your, if you have an intuitive feeling for something, and people have been in a relationship with a psychopath, will always say this, although they probably ended up marrying this thing, the first thing they said when they first met them was, there was something quite not right there. Right. And that's your intuition, and it works in the positive way as well. Like, when I first see, when I first saw the five-pointed stars and all that stuff, my first intuition was, they're pretty cool looking. You know, and they are, you know, because that, I didn't see them with, with that way. And it's this idea of like, yeah, you can't change the world, but you can change the world in you. And that, and, and if you follow your intuition and are true to your feelings and don't fight something because of sort of a, an, an imposed culture or an imposed uh, belief package, whether it be religious or anything like that, or even secular, you're always winning because you're always learning. You I mean, I, like, Anyone who, this is why I don't like that term, the truth movement. Anyone who says that they have the truth is a liar because there is no absolute truth to anything. Mm -hmm. There's only the truth 
that you find for yourself in your own journey. And you'll only you'll get there as long as you're always looking and not believing you have the answer. And these people who are so hung up on these symbols, and they really, you know, I, I hope they get out of it. I hope they grow out of it. But what they're really saying is, I don't want to go any further. Well, Thomas, give us the plug for the books, because I know there's going to be lots of people out there who want to read the books, having listened to what you're speaking about. Tell us how they can find out more about you, be it as a designer, as a musician, or indeed through your, your current writings. Okay, my website is thomassheridanarts.com. I've got my paintings and some of my music and uh, lots of information on psychopaths on there. My two books are Puzzling People, The Labyrinth of the Psychopath, and the new book that just came out is called The Feet of Demons, Freedom from Consciousness Parasites in Psychopathic Society. You can get them on all the online bookshops, but I think Amazon has them on sale at the moment. Uh, you can also, you can get them in, if you don't want to deal with credit cards, you can get them in, you can go to Easton's or anywhere, any other bookshop around Ireland, just give them the titles and they'll have them for you in a few days. So they're very easy to get. And uh, if you're getting them, I would say get puzzling people first. And you already get, then, then read the second one, Defeat the Demons, because they are, it is, uh, it, it is, it is two ends of a story of me traveling through this world, trying to come to terms with the nature of evil. So it's sort of like, uh, it's, it's, it's as much, I wouldn't say it's autobiographical, but it's like, it's, 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 it's an, it's a truth that I've uncovered. And then, it's, it's not negative. It's, it's pragmatic. It's dealing with this problem. But ultimately, it finishes with the second book being very hopeful that ultimately the human consciousness will defeat this problem once and forever. I have the power. You have the power. We have the power. Thomas Sheridan, it's been a great pleasure and privilege indeed having you on Alchemy Radio. I hope we'll speak again very, very soon on air. Thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you, and my best wishes to you and your listeners. Alchemy Radio. Alchemy Radio.